You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. Hey, this is Josh Mead. We are so glad that you are joining us again this week for the Missionary Perspective Podcast. So today we're going to continue, Eric, with the questions from a young preacher boy. Question five was, do you believe a church should be run similarly to a business? And then the questions after that is, how do you get people involved in the church service? So you're talking about two different aspects that grow out of that first question. So Let's go to question five. Should a church be run similar to a business? If not, why not? And so I think the idea is the context of, you know, should you be the CEO as the pastor of a (laughs) church? Are you the CEO of a company? And should you run it with the similar disciplines that are used in the business world? So my friend who used to was one of my mentors when I first get here, when I got here, he used to always say the answer to all his questions were, well, yes and no. <laughs> well, yes and no. <laughs> exactly. And so really the answer is yes and no. I mean, should a church be run like a business? Well, in the sense, yes. Uh, one of the things I've learned as I worked in you know the secular world and business world for a little while is that there are a lot of great things we can take from well-run businesses and implement in a church. And I think everybody understands that uh, you want to be organized. You know, the Bible talks about doing things in the church decently and in order. I mean, that that probably more than anything in our society here in the Dominican Republic, when people come to our church, the thing that I think without exception, if they have other church experience, if they've been in, which is more of the case, not necessarily the Catholic background, but the Pentecostal background, which is the majority of people who come to our church who had some sort of uh, charismatic background. The thing that sticks out first is they say, wow, you know, everything just seems so orderly here. You know, everything's in, 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 in a, in a good place. And, um, you know, I think things that are done efficiently, I think, um, you want to do things with the best quality, uh, you, the, the accountability, if you go to a business, very rarely is there one person in charge. There's accountability, there's structures. I think people appreciate that greatly. Um, they they see a well-run business um, and they say, you know, that's something to be desired. That's a, that's, a, that's a positive place for us, especially, and I'm sure people listening have the same situation. Parents who bring their kids and leave them in a classroom they want to know that it's safe and secure, that they can trust the people they're giving those kids off to. Um, they want to know when they come and use their hour, two hours here, that it was worth their time. And another thing businesses do a good job is promoting themselves, you know, proclaiming that they're there, you know. And so as churches, we can learn from that, how we can let people know that we're here, that we're not just wasting our time. I always tell people, hey, look, we got empty seats. There's room for more people. Let's let's go tell more people. And so in that sense, I'd say, yes, uh, the no, we're not for profit. You know, we don't follow the philosophies of the world. We're, we're not out for dollars. We're, our philosophy is completely different because our goal is to focus and serve Christ and serve people uh, no matter the bottom line. You know, it's not about the bottom line. We, we have a different kind of faith. People would run a business different than a church um, if they saw how churches, you know, we're focusing their monies. Um, our philosophies in that sense are very different. And then, you know, I think of in businesses, they talk about like uh, the customer is always right. 
Well, that's not the way in the church. You know, we have to tell people what is right from the word of God. And often, you know, pastors are afraid of doing that, but you need to preach the whole counsel of God. And so that would go counter counterintuitive to uh, the goal of an, a business. And then I would say that our goal is, as churches is to give out and not to get, not to receive. It's not what we get, it's, it's what we give. And so in some sense, I think I know what he's saying. You know, you see a lot of well-run churches and the reason they're well-run is because they're very efficient. They're organized, and those parts are great. And I think you and I know that we've learned in the last decade and a half from those big churches that we we see that. But if you know anybody who's ever worked in some of those very large churches, you do know they have to run them often very much like a business. And unfortunately, a lot of times there are a lot of casualties to that. And uh, maybe that's kind of what he's getting into. I don't know if you if you read into that that way. I think so. I think I think there's a big difference between. You know, when a church is run like a business in the sense that you mentioned, where everything's in order, that everything is structured timely, especially the gathering of the church, when you, especially the larger mm-hmm. your church becomes, the more organized and structured you need to be. And so you can definitely draw from the business world on how they, you know, structure and organize and are disciplined in certain areas. I think you, you, you hit one of the words that is key where the business world and the church world overlap, I would say what it's would have to do with accountability and transparency, that those things mm-hmm. need to be out there. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be transparency. And uh, your church membership will, will appreciate that. I've noticed any big churches that do have uh, a lot of structure and order that in, in even the pastor is, has shared how he's, you know, drawn from this CEO and maybe this company. And I learned these strategies from this guy where the, where you go and you find there's, okay, you could tell a difference between, is this a church family or is this just a spectator Broadway production where everybody gets Mm up on stage, there's the professionals and then there's the spectators. And we we've been to you, you've been to all kinds of churches like that, especially when we're talking about mega churches. And um, I think though, even on the other hand, small churches can, can neglect sometimes the, the importance of orderliness and, and doing everything to the best of the ability. And you don't know who you're turning away from your gathering uh, by not having a well-organized program and structure. And so I think that just to kind of close out on this question, uh, you know, the church gathers to honor Christ and to serve and edify the body. And so a lot of programs, I think a lot of mega churches, especially they run it like a business or a Broadway production where you've got the spectators that never actually plug themselves into the church family. So mm-hmm. if you are a large church and you can, Find that balance between leading your church as a family, keeping that family atmosphere, because that's what we are as a body of Christ, while at the same time integrating some business practices of of accountability and of quality and all of that. I think that's good. I think Jesus simply said, you know, when it came to church structure, he said, don't be like the Gentiles. And I think he's referencing the Roman administrative hierarchy. You're not going to have tyrants and, mm-hmm. and bosses and overlords and all of that. Basically, everything the Roman right. Catholic Church implemented in their structure, Jesus said, don't do it. The least is to be your greatest. So I, I don't think he's Certain condemning. Artists. Jesus wasn't condemning that type of administrative leadership. It's needed for government. He was simply stating yeah. the church is different, right? So service... Yeah 
not power is the purpose of leadership in the church. And I think that's, you can draw from the business world, but don't forget you're a family of God. You're not there just to put on a good show. We're there to edify one another. So, yeah, just kind of put a period on that statement, Josh. I was just, I'm not not only studying, but I'm also preaching through Mark, the book of Mark. And, you know, we've gone through the two different times where Christ feeds the 5,000, he feeds the 4,000. And even Mm -hmm. in that instance, he's not only teaching the disciples and including the disciples in this, he's also, uh, you know, showing the order of having them sit down in different groups. And so we see that. Obviously, you know, it's a balance of servant leadership of Christ, that at the same time, there's decent and in order uh, processes going along. Definitely. I think it's uh, when it comes to church administration, the way a church is run. Yeah, we're, we're not a business, but we are in the Lord's business. We're not a kingdom, mm-hmm. but we are the Lord's kingdom, you know. And so it's one of those right. things where, uh, yeah, you, you've got to, you're dealing with finances, you're dealing with uh, structuring you know, services, you've got programs. And so learn to do the best you can develop yourself. And uh, while at the same time, don't forget the purpose of it all is to serve. And so let's, uh, let's move on then to the next couple of questions. They kind of piggyback on each other and they're more, Mm -hmm. more have to do with how do you get now that you've got your church structured, you've got an administrative structure in place, you know, how you want to implement your church's leadership how do you get people involved? Mm-hmm. So question seven was, how do you get people involved or more involved in church services? What do you do, Eric? Do you, uh, you say, Hey, if you, do you do what the Mormons did in our town here and find some, uh, some Nigerians who just immigrated here with no work and say, Hey, if you will go and start a church in your house, even if you're not saved, <laughs> we'll give you a hundred bucks. And so that's a uh, one mm-hmm. way to start a church, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that's not how we did it. But I think the way you should, especially when it comes to involvement, I think that always starts with your needs. You know, you need to know what are the needs of your church? What what are needs in the church service? What are in the needs you know, before and after the church service? So you have to sit down and kind of say, all right, you know, when we first started, you know, my wife did not sit through a sermon of mine. I don't know for how many years, because she took a long time before she could train and, and trust people to take care of the kids as far as teaching them Sunday school classes and things like that. So knowing your needs, uh, okay, what do we need? And then observe the spiritual gifts of those in your congregation. I believe not only will the Lord open your eyes to it, but maybe include people you you trust to say, hey, these are some of the needs we have in the church. You know, keep your eyes open. See, you pray about people who you think might be able to help you with some of these needs. This is before you you involve people. Uh, then you need to, as you've kind of developed that, you see possibilities. You need to give people opportunities. Uh, you need to maybe go individually to those people or ask somebody else. Like we have people all the time. One of the easiest kind of first things to do in our church is to be part of the reception team. You know, all you got to do is have a smile and open the door. But to be honest, not everybody's perfectly fit to be that first kind of person you meet when you go into the church, you know, it really does take a good personality, a person who's outgoing and, you know, obviously they're saved and baptized part of your church, but you, you, I, we include people who are in charge of those ministries to go seek out couples or individuals to be a part of that. Um, and then sometimes you have to just make the note, the needs known. You need to tell people, you know, we're really struggling. We don't have enough people who are watching the kids in the nursery, things like that. Now, when it comes to involvement, 
once all that's taking place, you can't be afraid to let people fail, you know, and people fail. I mean, thankfully, when someone forgets it's their day to be the reception team, it's easy to open the door. Sometimes young people forget to come on their day when they're supposed to be doing the uh, sound booth. Well, you have other people trained and that, and that's what you're doing. You're, you're constantly training, but really it's, it's kind of knowing your needs, seeing people's um, abilities and gifts, and then trying to plug them in, trying to encourage them. I mentioned before we do an involvement day, but we've only done that for five or six years. It wasn't for all 13 years. In the beginning, it was more like my wife and I and other leaders seeing people's specialties and trying to get them involved. But really, it is asking. It's going out. It's it's making needs known. Um, generally, people want to be helpful, but you have to sometimes push them. I don't know how it is in Senegal, but here most people don't volunteer. You kind of have to. You have to ask them. It's similar, and I don't have much to add beyond what you what you spoke to there. I would say, though, from a missionary perspective, um, if you've just arrived to the field and you're at that stage where Eric is de- describing, where it's just you and your wife getting started, and you're you're building trust and you're trying to figure things out as you find people to get involved, um, you you have to really learn to discern. Uh, as quickly as possible, you have to ask the Lord to lead you in that. Because a lot of times the young men, especially who kind of come around and are the most willing to volunteer for things, don't always have the best interest at heart. Um, (laughs) Sometimes they come with nefarious uh, motivations, you know, behind what they're looking for. That's not to say you can't find, you know, the guy who's going to lead your church, you know, is the first guy you run into the first week you arrive in your country. And you have this fairy tale, you know, of, uh, Hey, I had this Macedonian vision and first guy I ran into when I got to Macedonia was, was him, you know? So Paul had the Macedonia vision of a man saying, come help us. First person he led to Christ was a a woman named Lydia. And so the Mm -hmm. the point is you don't know how everything's going to fall into place but in the early stages, you do have to be careful in who you implement into different leadership and who you allow to get involved early on, uh, especially in a country, uh, you know, African countries where everything is familiar. Everything is 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 done. Every decision that's made by the individual in society is a family decision and you gear mm. every decision around how it will impact your family. And so if you are cut off from your family for whatever reason, it can be for the gospel's sake or it could be for, you know, no good reasons. Sometimes these these men, especially who have been isolated from their society because they've been an outcast, they did something that wasn't appropriate in their in their social structure, they're going to try to draw to the foreigner and try to get you to accept them. And maybe they're not the right person to get involved right away. And their reputation is going to hurt your ministry in the long term more than that short term help that you need by them coming to you. And so I would say learn to to pray for God's guidance, obviously, but most missionaries I've spoken to, they say you need to find a man of peace or an inside man, Mm -hmm. somebody who without any other they have no other motivation except just to become your friend. And they have insight into the culture and into people to where they can point out, hey, this guy who wants to do this thing in your church, um, 
he, he, this is, you know, this isn't normal the way he's approaching it in our culture. He wouldn't normally do it that way. Um, you know, I'll just give an example of a young man from a country here in Africa wanted to marry one of the Brazilian missionary single ladies who was in a sister church here, but she was probably to at least double his age, which is not normal in this setting. And we gave our advice uh, which was, I, we don't, we just felt that this wasn't, he didn't have the best intentions at heart, which it turned out they, they went ahead and got married anyways, but it only lasted a couple years when he found out that she wasn't his ticket to, to Brazil. Then uh, he left her and went with somebody else, which is, so, you know, you, you try to avoid some of those things by listening to good counsel early on. So, so yes, you do want to get people involved in the church and sometimes it's hard to get people involved. But at the same time, I just want to approach it from a different angle, especially early on in your ministry, be careful who you allow to get involved in the ministries that you're implementing, which brings us to the second uh, question. But did you have something you want to add on to that? Well, and just understand that, you know, when I first got involved in serving, when the Lord first started touching my heart, the idea of becoming a missionary, it really was brought to my heart and my mind that I wasn't really serving the Lord the way I needed to be in my local church. And so I got plugged in. Well, they didn't put me in front of a Sunday school class right away, even though I've been you know, a believer for a long time. I'm, you know, helping out with the offerings. I'm helping out in Awanas. I'm, you know, helping out with men's basketball. I mean, there needs to be some entry level things into your church that people can show that they are willing to serve. And if somebody's not willing to clean toilets and clean trash cans and, you know, do the simple tasks, it's probably a good indication until they're more mature. They're not willing to you know, going to be able to do other things because I, as we've always taught, I mean, I try to be out in front sweeping when I can sweep and cleaning bathrooms and cleaning the gutters to show people that, you know, we're serving hearted people here. There's no, there's no, there's no hierarchy, you know, there may be God has given us the position to preach and, and that's a wonderful call position, but we should all be all willing to do whatever it takes. And so you can usually weed people out pretty quickly if you do something like that. Yeah, certainly. And I would say in order to get people more involved and to weed out those with nefarious intentions, I think the key is discipleship. I mean, it really is yeah, that simple. Exactly. And that brings us into the second, this final question for today, which is if you don't have many people or if you don't have anyone at all who wants to serve in a major role or handle a bigger set of responsibilities at present, how do you get people to want to help or be more involved? Which is similar to that question, but okay, now you're more established. The church is going. Let's say you have an attendance of 50 people now in this church plant, but you're still doing all the work. How do you get more people involved? And I would simply say discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. Mm -hmm. Simplify the gathering. Simplify the church service. Mm -hmm. Church mm -hmm. isn't about program. It's not about doing programs exactly. anyways. And I would say as a missionary, if you're going to a country to plant a church, avoid setting up all kinds of programs until you <laughs> have a solid discipleship program set up. Yeah. You need to have a lot of personal time that you can invest in discipling those that will eventually go into leadership position. And as you work with, with those within your church and those you've led to Christ, as you're discipling them, then you're going to be able to tune into 
where their giftings are, where they're best fit, where you can push them into serving Christ. And through a good discipleship program, if you want to call it a program, through through discipleship, it's going to come out naturally where the one being discipled is going to want to use his gifts and want to use his calling for the edifying of believers, for evangelism in his community. And so I would say, as you're teaching others, that's where it's going to grow into those who receive what you're teaching. They're going to go out and teach others also with a natural desire, because that's what it means to be a Christian. You are a witness of Jesus Christ by nature of who you are as a born again believer. You're going to reproduce and want to go out and and share that gospel with others where there's a a healthy personal relationship and discipleship going on. Uh, I think that's key. And so uh, when it comes to discipleship on your, on your mission field, you really got to learn the language. You have to learn to understand the culture and you have to learn to relate to it personally in such a way that you can engage the disciple with the gospel through the cultural lens that they're approaching life with. And so th there's a lot to take into consideration, but as you're learning the culture and you're learning insights into the society you're working in, and then you're plugging the gospel into that insight and then pouring that into an indigenous believer from where you're working in, the result is going to be not just a, a strong believer who's going to plug into doing the work of the Lord, but an indigenous church is going to grow as a result out of this, this process of doing discipleship. So I would simply say that you want to get more people involved, simplify your church gathering. Don't have a whole bunch of programs, just emphasize personal discipleship and pouring your life into individuals. What, what would you say in response to that question? Yeah, I agree with all that. I think the simplicity is very key. And I, one thing I would add is I'm I'm thinking about this this uh, dilemma, if you will, sometimes with basically you have all this work, and a lot of times people who aren't necessarily wanting to do the work. You know, this is not only a, a church planting missionary problem. This is a church planter in the states. This is actually a lot of churches in the states go through these ebbs and flows. I'm thinking of some churches we're close to that aren't even necessarily small churches. There are ebbs and flows. Sometimes people die, leaders die, they go to different ministries, families leave, and you really, you have, you know, the 80-20 principle. You have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And so I think one of the things as pastors, um, and just recently this has happened specifically in our ministry, we have someone who's kind of transitioned to another country, and this person did a lot of things. And I'm really working hard now because their replacement wasn't trained trying to maybe get two or three people to fill their shoes. And so a lot of times one thing you need to do as pastors and you preach and teach is emphasize the benefits of serving the Lord. I mean, one of the reasons we're missionaries is we understand not only has the Lord called us, but we love doing it. It's, it's really identifies who we are. And so, but if we weren't missionaries, we'd be serving in our local churches, hopefully. And we would, you know, consider that our identity, whether, whether I was selling insurance or I was in computers you know, I would tell people I do this in my church. You know, that that's that's an identity, serving the Lord, being a leader in our church. And I think sometimes we we need to do that more. We we often emphasize and 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 lift up missions in our church, which we do, but it's also emphasizing those who are the bus captains, those who are uh, serving in the nursery. I try to always edify and lift up those who serve in the nursery because boy, 
I get very distracted as a preacher when there are a lot of screaming kids in our in our church. And so I am thankful and I always talk very highly of those workers. And so I think making the needs known and expressing how good it is to serve the Lord, the, the benefits there. And then, you know, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes you have to ask people. Um, but just to understand, you know, in our case, we've had different teammates over the years who really helped me with the youth. Well, that hasn't been the case now for a number of years, and I had to take the lead in that. We just did not have those couples who were uh, spiritually gifted to do that. And so I struggled, Lord, what can I do? Because it's a lot of work. I want to have a youth meeting every week if I can, but I can't because of priorities. So the Lord kind of put on my heart, well, what you can do is start getting other couples involved to do a lot of the work that is taking your time, you know. Getting, you know, getting the snacks ready, getting the church clean, get, the things that are just taking a lot of effort to do everything that the teammate did before. We have to get others involved. Maybe they can't teach the lesson and they can't you know, pour into lives of the young people like the pastor needs to, but they can come alongside and help be those uh, that help you accomplish it. I think sometimes that's, you know, the expression of there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, asking the Lord to say, well, okay, maybe we don't have that couple that's going to lead that Sunday school class, but where can someone else help alleviate? in the area of my life or somebody else's life who's a Sunday school teacher, so we can still accomplish this. And I think really uh, it just comes down to a lot of prayer, uh, making the needs known, encouraging. And then, of course, the discipleship. You have to have people trained properly. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes just give them a little push to give them the opportunity. I have a young uh, older gentleman in our church now who's going to have to kind of step up and be one of our song leaders. And he, think he, can't, he thinks he can't do it. Truth is, he sings way better than I do. And I explained to him, it just it's practice, you know, you got to just trust the Lord and practice. And so a lot of times it's just being that encourager, that coach that says, I think you can do this. Let's come alongside and help you do it. Yeah, I agree. I think um, emphasizing, especially in some cultures more than others, but emphasizing the family, the familial aspect of, of the church family body, right? We're a family. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's one way that we've, not only just simplify your gatherings, right? Don't emphasize programs if you don't have people to run programs. But then if you want to get people involved, a lot of ways that we get individuals involved here is making sure that we emphasize responsibilities that have to do with like taking care of your family. So mm -hmm. you plug into roles that are already expected and roles that people understand. So here, everybody has a role that they play uh, whether you're a child all the way up to adults, you know, moms, dads, and grandmas and wives and husbands, everybody has this role that they're expected to fit into. And if you can learn what everybody are already understands their role is in their culture and in their family, family setting, then you can implement some of that into uh, the way the church is run. I would also say this, a lot of places, I don't know what it's like in Dominican Republic, if it's if it's the same. Here, a lot of times, there is a lot of respect toward those in spiritual positions of leadership, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. if you're elder, if you're older. The older you get, the more respect they're shown toward you. But even if you're young, you know, I'm still in my 30s. And so, you know, there's still this idea of this <laughs> this respect because of your position that you're in. And so I've learned that I can get people to volunteer for things by simply starting to do it myself. So we need the chair set up. I can do it myself and and I do, 
But as soon as I start setting it up, other people jump up if they're sitting down and say, oh, pastor, I'll do that. I'll do that. You don't need to do that. You're the pastor. And I always explain, no, that, you know, this, I am happy to do this. This is part of the job of serving one another. But then they jump up because of that. Well, you're a spiritual leader. And so we, we try to balance. You want to make sure that they understand that being a spiritual leader doesn't make you a higher, you're not closer to God because you're a pastor. But understanding that cultural aspect, I think if you're a missionary, you need to use that to the advantage of getting others involved where maybe they might not. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, speaking with a pastor in Canada and he said, you know, when he, when he took over a church up there, it was a blue collar town. And he said, just, he would say, we need this done, this done, this done, and nobody would do it. And he said, he finally learned that the jobs these guys were working, they were used to a boss telling them what to do. And I expect you to have it done by Friday, you know? And so he just started going to individual men and saying, Hey, can you do this? And I need this done in the church. And they said, Oh yeah, no problem. Be glad to do it. But when he just threw it out there, blanket statement, like, Oh, we're going to need the lawn mode this, this, you know, this week, nobody volunteered to do it because when you're in a union job, everybody's got their position unless you're told what to do. And he learned the insight of the culture in the city where he was that if I'm going to get people to work, they, they want to help out. People want to serve the Lord, but he, he had to learn how to engage people where they were. And so he said, I would go to them individually and and they would volunteer gladly to help out mm-hmm. once I went that direction. And so, yeah, just learn the culture, learn the way people respond to leadership and just learn how to approach people. And I think that, uh, that will help you as you get people involved in doing the work of the Lord. Was well, there anything you want to close out on before we uh, finish the podcast? No, I just think all that is uh, something that we, comes through experience. And um, I would be real careful. My pastor was always one that taught us, you know, be real careful who you put in positions of leadership. Take time to get to know them and their character. Um, haste makes waste. It's so often very difficult to take people out of positions like that. So just be real smart. But there are a lot of things people can serve that aren't really spiritually minded that show people's true character in the meantime. Yeah, certainly. Well, next week, we're going to get deeper into uh, kind of how we train people and maybe how we've um, uh, we've been able to implement people into the work of the Lord and watch them mature and discipleship. And so uh, I'm looking forward to continuing these questions. Uh, I've been blessed just kind of digging deeper into some of these questions, and I hope they've been a blessing to you. We look forward to continuing. Keep in touch. Uh, let us know if this podcast is a blessing to you. Make sure you put a review, a like, share, and get the word out. Let's keep getting the word out there and uh, uh, try to reach as many people as we can, especially young missionaries. Kind of our, We're reaching a lot of people, and we want to be a blessing to a lot of people, but especially young missionaries. We want to help you out as you're learning the ropes and uh, learn from things that we learn from and those we interview, what they've learned. And uh, a lot of it's what we learn not to do. And uh, you can avoid a lot of heartache by learning from those who've done it before and learn what not to do. So this is Josh Mead from over here in Senegal, West Africa. Eric Johnson in the Dominican Republic. God bless. Have a great week.